qualified means to fit, right? It, it means to, uh, to, that God has made you fit into the place that he has for you. You, you fit there. Do you know what it's like to not fit, to not fit in somewhere? Feel like, oh, this isn't, this, this, this isn't the place for me. I feel I'm uncomfortable, I'm, I'm nervous, right? I, don't, I just don't feel like I fit, right? There's that, we, we, we know that feeling of not, of not fitting and it's, a, it's an uncomfortable feeling. This is God qualifying. The idea of qualifying is he made us fit. I remember when uh, my wife and I were working with young adults, it, it would be almost every week we would talk about, we would talk to several people who say, I just don't fit in. I just, I don't, I don't fit in here. And, um, and, and their thought would be, there's something wrong with that group of people, so I don't fit. But then the more I talked to people, everybody was saying they don't feel like they fit. And so if everybody's saying they don't feel like they fit, then who are the people that actually fit? And I'm realizing, I don't think the problem is with the group. I think the problem is with the individuals that they believe something about themselves that don't allow them to feel part of a group of people. They didn't feel like they fit, and that's an awkward and uncomfortable picture. But the, the quali- being qualified means something else as well. Like, like if, you're, uh, if you're a pole vaulter, my niece pole vaults, she has to qualify you know, for certain meets, and you have to jump a certain height. And if you don't jump it, guess what? You don't qualify. Or if you apply for a job and you want to, you know, a certain position, well, you have to qualify. You have to be qualified for that, for that position. And so, what the father says here is that if if we're going to attain the inheritance that he has, he will qualify us. So, what are the necessary qualifications for the inheritance that God has for us? What does he do to qualify us? And there's a, there's a lot that he does to qualify us, but I think you can summarize the main qualification for receiving the inheritance of the presence of God is holiness. So, so Leviticus 11 says, be holy because I am holy. To be with God, to be restored into relationship with him, to enjoy the inheritance, which primarily is not about a land, it's about uh, being in the presence of, of God, in order to enjoy that, you have to be qualified, which means you have to be holy as he is holy, and that's a high standard. And the bad news is we left holiness behind a long time ago. So before God, we, we cannot qualify ourselves. We need someone else to qualify us. Well, that's the good news of what Jesus has done. If the prerequisite right, for the inheritance is holiness. Well, Jesus makes us holy. He makes us righteous. Romans 4, 1 to 3 gives us a very clear picture of that. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, that means he has something to boast about before God. For what does the scripture say? It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So his faith, his belief in what God has done or what God would do is what made him qualify for the inheritance. It made him it made him 
righteousness. You have felt, you have felt the, the, the pain of unrighteousness. Right? There's different times where you have felt, you've, maybe you've walked into a clean house with dirty shoes. Maybe you've sat at a formal dinner with dirty hands, right? And you, you felt not qualified. You felt, you felt unclean. And there's times where it goes way beyond a physical sense of being unclean, but a spiritual sense of being unclean, of being, of being not worthy, and what we would feel not worthy of is what? It's the inheritance, that God has an inheritance. The word share and inheritance in verse 12 point us back to what story? But you remember? The word share and inheritance point us back to the Exodus story. So God's people are in bondage. They're going to be delivered so that they can share in an inheritance that God has for them, which means there is a place, right, where each tribe and each clan would be a portion, a piece of land, that was their inheritance. And it was a place where God would give them rest. It was a place where they would have abundance. It was a place where they could worship God in freedom, right? So God had an inheritance for his people. And so Paul is using the same language here because he's communicating Right? He's applying the situation to that was Israel's situation to the, to the new people of God and saying God's people will always have a future inheritance. They will have a land. They will have peace. They will have rest. They will have a place where they will worship me fully and completely. And in this, it's the, what does it say? It is the inheritance of the saints of light. So who are these people? The saints of light give us the picture that it is all believers, all Christians, past, present, future, that will share in this inheritance. Now, why is this so important? Why would Paul say, listen, for you to grow into your identity or for you to grow into maturity, you have to know this about your identity, that you have qualified for an inheritance. Why is that important? Well, the reason that is essential for growing into maturity is because we need to know that we're not home yet. That, that we need to know that we have been qualified for a future inheritance. Now, we do get a foretaste now. I'm not saying our inheritance is entirely future. We get the presence of God now. We get the community of, of the saints now. We get to grow together. We get to mature together. We get to see evidence of, of God's spirit working among us now. But this is not it. There is, there is so much more. There is so much more to come. This world is not our home. We are made for so much more. And our tendency is to invest our time and energy into things that simply will not last. I was at a missions conference um, about two weeks ago, and this phrase came up, and it was kind of one of those kind of annoying Christian-y sort of sayings, but when I thought about it, I'm like, wow, that's really true. And the guy stood up and he said, listen, I, 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 am, I am unashamed to ask people to give money to missions because I'm really asking them to save their money from the fire that's to come and invest it in something that's eternal. 
while you know there's a little bit of edge there that I would you know challenge but but there's something so profound about that what he's saying is invest your your time your energy your resources in things of eternal significance listen to how uh, hebrews 1 says it you lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. And this world is not our home. We have an inheritance that we have been qualified to receive. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying don't care about the earth. I'm not saying we, we, we shouldn't take care of what God has given us to steward. Absolutely, we should, but we shouldn't take care of the earth and the things of this earth because this is our home. We should take care of it because God designed it and he's called us to do it. And we can do all things in such a way that honor and glorify him. But we, we get off track if we, if we try to make the, the, the things of this earth satisfy things that they're not designed to satisfy. I believe that our initiatives, our passions, our energy is often given over to what I would describe as earthbound stories. Stories that, that are small. Stories that aren't gonna stand the test of time. Earthbound stories. And, and if we think, and let me give you an example of this, if we think that, that success and fulfillment and satisfaction is going to come with 2.5 kids, a picket fence, and a retirement home in Florida, we are deceived. And the reason for that is not that those things are bad. The reason for that is they're too small. They, they do not have the capacity to bear the weight of the dignity of God's design for your life. God has made you for so much more. Let me give you an example. Let me tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about Jimmy. Jimmy was a worship leader. He was a worship leader in a church, and he always was a good example. In his family, he was known as the, the guy that he would do the right thing, wouldn't get in trouble at school, right, would always just do what he was told to do. He would say the right thing, help the right people, serve in the, in the right way. He wouldn't get into fights. But outside, he had it all together. Inside, he did not. Internally, things were not so good for Jimmy. From an early age, he was trapped in fantasy and masturbation. Uh, over time, that fantasy led to uh, addiction to pornography. He... Uh, as he got older, developed some back problems and, and was uh, prescribed uh, some prescription drugs and he found it very easy to keep calling in that refill. And over time, he felt like he couldn't relax, couldn't find any peace unless he was using the meds. So he became addicted to his pain meds. While in college, he started drinking. This was another way for him to escape the monotony of doing good. So he started to hang out with some friends that weren't particularly a good 
influence on him. Uh, started playing quite a bit of poker, being in Atlantic City a lot, got into gambling debt, uh, the kind of money he was unable to uh, pay back, which led into some additional problems for him. And so he began to see that there was this pattern of escape for him, that, that, that the, 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 the good that he was doing uh, just wasn't really satisfying him. And, and the struggle was, while he had this secret life going on over here, his public life, he was, still, he was still doing great. He was actually advancing in terms of ministry, in terms of leadership. And he said he wanted to follow Jesus, but, but, but he knew something was, was wrong, that he was escaping from this good world to find something broken to give him a sense of, of life. And he looked at me, and I remember him saying, I just don't know how to stop. I feel, I feel trapped in this pattern. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do to, to, to feel alive apart from these things. I know that God has made me for something else. What Jimmy didn't realize, right, is that his definition of what God had called him to, the definition of the design of the good life was just far too small. He had a, his picture of what it meant to follow after Jesus didn't touch on his heart's commitment before God. It didn't touch on who he was in Christ. It didn't touch on the adventure of living in, 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 in communion with the missional heart of God. It was just things that he could he could do. He didn't realize that he had been qualified for an inheritance. So we need to know that if we are to grow into maturity, we have to know that this world is not our home. We have to know that he has qualified us for so much more. Now, Paul said this, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then our hope is in vain, and he and us are of all men to be pitied. Right? If there's no resurrection from the dead, if there is no growing into our inheritance, then we should be pitied of all people on the planet because we are living in such a deception. But, but I think buried in that is a pretty good diagnostic question. Do we practically live like there is a resurrection? Do, does, does our lifestyle, does our agenda, does the things that, that get us excited or get us angry, do they demonstrate that this world is not our home? I think those are good questions for us to, to just be honest with God about. And I think that's why Paul sets them up as, uh, or sets the father uh, having qualified us as the first point of identity to lead us into maturity. All right, second, second of Paul's three-point identity verification is this, that the father has delivered us. The father has delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And again, what Paul is doing here is he is alluding to the same story, the Exodus story, 
particularly the dramatic rescue operation of which God delivered his people from, from a dark power of Egypt. And then he transferred them right into the new kingdom that he had prepared for them, into a new land. So he rescued them from something and he rescued them for something. He rescued them from the harsh rule of the prince of darkness and he exchanged that for the wise sovereignty of a loving father. So Paul shares really what, what Jesus thinks, what all the other New Testament writers think, is that there is this reality of a kingdom of darkness. Right? I think as, in terms of how we view the world, we have to realize there is a, there is a dark authority a kingdom of darkness a dark power to whom every all the to whom the human race and the world are subject because of sin but while there is that dark kingdom there is also another kingdom at work in the world today that he has rescued us from one to another a belief that in Jesus God has defeated this power and is establishing his new kingdom the kingdom of his beloved son. So he's rescued us from the, the punishment and the power of the kingdom of darkness, right? And then delivered us, transferred us. We, we hit the transfer window into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, these two kingdoms exist. They coexist together. On planet earth, these two kingdoms uh, coexist together but he's rescued us and then he's delivered us or transferred us. And what I want you to know is what he's rescued us from right now is he's rescued us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, but he has not rescued us yet from the presence of sin, right? So we, we still see the, this world of darkness around us. We still feel it now. Now, what I want you to know is, this is very exciting. It's a little nerdy, I, I, uh, I admit. But it says that he has transferred us. What is the tense of that word? Past. He has transferred us to the kingdom. That means this transfer has already happened. That means you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. It has already, it has already taken place. Now, all throughout the New Testament, what that means is, since you have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, now you are empowered to do battle against the kingdom of darkness. And you can do it with confidence. So Romans 13 Besides this, you know that the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires." Peter does a similar thing. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Ephesians 5, for at one time you were 
You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in what is unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So it is this kingdom that we get to live in, that we have been transferred from one kingdom to another. To another. And the description of the kingdom is that it is the kingdom of his beloved son. Again, this points back to the, the Exodus story very powerfully. In Hosea 11.1, 1, it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. The picture here is God in this work of the kingdom of God, as transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son, is he's referencing the fact that the king has now arrived that he has finished what he promised and what he started all the way with Abraham, all the way through the Exodus narrative. Now the kingdom has come, King Jesus is established, and he is the one that will lead us from, the, from, the, from the, the fulfillment of the kingdom that is in part now into its ultimate fulfillment later on. And so what Paul is saying is in order for us to grow up into maturity, we have got to know our identity as people who were transferred, who were delivered from one kingdom and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Let me tell you another story about my friend Mary. Mary described herself as daddy's little girl, daddy's little princess. She had her daddy's attention and he cared for her and he loved her until she was in middle school. In middle school, she caught her dad with another woman, and then her daddy no longer treated her like his little girl, but instead, actually, he left her and her family for this other woman. So this little girl was left, she was vulnerable. She had to pick up the pieces as an elementary school student. She had to figure out what it meant to trust and love I mean, just her world was shattered. But she remembered something. She observed that her dad had traded her mom in for a younger model that appeared to her to be, in her words, a more sexy model. So she started to formulate a strategy. She thought, okay, I, I never want to be left. I never want to experience this again. So she convinced herself that, that to keep the attention of a man, she had to make sure that she was the most sexy object in their eyes. So if she could get men to lust after her, then she could feel safe and secure. You can see how that led her down a very dangerous path. So by high school, she was, she was sexually active, uh, she went from relationship to relationship. She was abused repeatedly. And then God met her. Uh, God rescued her. She met, uh, she met a, a, a godly man that was, um, that was just going a different direction than all the other men in her life. And so they started dating. They got engaged and even during their engagement, while this man gave, the more attention he gave her, the more insecure she felt. Because she thought, well, if I just focus in on one man, what happens when 
his attention goes somewhere else. So she started to, 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 to move outside of their relationship, to, 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 to seduce some other men so that she could feel again more secure. And I remember in talking with her, she said, I, I felt so vulnerable and afraid, like I didn't have any choice, that I had to make sure I could secure love for myself. What Mary didn't know at that point in time is that she was transferred from the domain of darkness, that she didn't have to live according to that script anymore, that her dad had written messages for her, had written a script for her, and she had bought into the lie. She wasn't stupid, but as an elementary school uh, student, that's what she was taught. And so she lived according to this lie, and it it was bringing destruction into her life. The problem is the message she was believing was a lie that led her into bondage and slavery. By the grace of God, she realized that she had been delivered from the domain of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so she realized she could live according to a different script. And so she started to believe what God said to be true of her. And she started to risk by being loved by her fiance, then husband. And she started to believe that she was a child of God, that love was not conditioned on sexy, love was conditioned on covenant, and Jesus had died to demonstrate his love for her. And in that, she started to walk in new patterns because she was in a new kingdom. As if that wasn't enough, Paul has one more point of identity that we need to hear. It's almost like an encore performance. So in Jesus, we have redemption, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is an incredible word. Uh, it's, uh, the English Standard Version translates the word redemption 31 times in the Bible. Paul uses it six times, and it's a key phrase that understands, that gets at what Jesus has done on our behalf. The word freedom, all of these are tied together. The word freedom uh, is the word release. It is the word, I'm sorry, the word redemption is the word release. It's a picture of freedom. And the first thing that, in the first century mind, the first thing they would think of when they hear the word redemption would be the slave market, where a conquering army would make slaves of the defeated army, and then you could redeem those slaves in the, in the slave market. You could, you could buy them out of slavery. But to the Jewish mind, what would they think of first? The Jewish mind would think of the Exodus narrative where they were a nation of slaves and God redeemed them, where God bought them back. And this whole passage about this this threefold identity has been saturated with this Exodus story. So you remember the Exodus story, right? Pharaoh was the the slave master. So what what the Pharaoh said, you did. And to ensure control... What did Pharaoh do? He killed the firstborn. 
That's why Moses escaped in the basket. Remember that kind of subplot in the story, right? So, so Pharaoh is going to kill the firstborn, but then listen to what God said, because God wanted his people for himself. He wanted to redeem them out of slavery. And he said this in Exodus 4, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So God and Pharaoh are at odds over the authority of his people. So what God did was he sent the plagues uh, to Egypt to twist the arm of Pharaoh to relent and let God's people go. But not only did he send it on behalf of Pharaoh, but he sent the plagues of Egypt so that God's people would also know that God was in charge, not the gods of Pharaoh. And so what happened in, if you remember in the story, at first, Pharaoh's magicians could, could mimic the signs that God did, but eventually, even Pharaoh's own religious leaders said, this God is the real thing. And God was demonstrating himself as more powerful as the one who could redeem his people from the bondage and the authorities of Egypt. Then God poured out his wrath and judgment in his final act to set his people free. And if you remember the Passover story and the Passover story of Egypt before, before God's people get delivered and, and they, they leave Egypt because as the angel of death came to Egypt, if the blood was on the doorpost, that angel would pass over you. And that was the, the redemption price that God paid to deliver his people. So the blood on the doorway would, would represent God's redemptive work that he would set those people free. And what, what the book of Exodus represents and what it is for God's people throughout history, it's the prototype of how God rescues his people. That there is going to be, there is going to be the, the, the shedding of blood to deal with um, the, the need for forgiveness, the shedding of blood um, to set people free. So God delivers through the blood. So the blood of Christ represents God's deliverance for us. That's what we do at communion. We represent the sacrifice of Jesus, which is how God redeems us. That's the, that's the penalty, the ransom price that is paid. But not only is it that God sets them free, he sets them free for what purpose? Is for himself. So they are set free from something and for something. And that's the prototype of redemption. So that carries all the way through to where Paul says, right? And when he's identifying, when he's solidifying their identity, you have to know that in Jesus, we have redemption. And then he gives a description of what redemption looks like. It looks like the forgiveness of sins, which forgiveness of sins quite possibly is the most astonishing feature here. Uh, and, and so if redemption is the forgiveness of sins, that means there's been pardon for failure. That means your record is expunged, right? The, 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 the guilt, the sin that you've carried, that you have felt is wiped away. It is forgiven. And in that relationship is restored. Let me give you a summary from N.T. Wright that I think is helpful. 
Paul then is asserting in shorthand that, that in Christ, the true Israel, the true king, the one whom God loves, God's people are rescued from the dark power that has enslaved them and are brought into the blessings of membership in the new covenant. Chief among these blessings is the fact that sin has been dealt with. God's people are to thank him that they are indeed his people, qualified for inheritance, delivered from the sin's grim tyranny, and redeemed through his son. So this statement, right, gives us a pretty clear picture of of what is needed, like the threefold identity of what is needed for us to grow into maturity, But here's another example of what happens when we don't live in the freedom of our three-point identity. There's a story about Tony. Uh, Tony was having an affair. He was uh, addicted to sex, cheating on his wife, cheating on his children. Then he met Jesus. He fell in love with Jesus. And then he got addicted to serving Jesus. He did everything Um, He did everything that he could. If the church doors were opened, he was there. If he found a Christian bumper sticker, it was on his car. He had the Jesus fish eaten by the Darwin fish, eaten by the Jesus fish again. He he just had, he was posting, you know, everything religious he could post on on Facebook. Actually, Facebook wasn't around when I met Tony, but that's what he would have done. (laughs) He was what you would say, somebody that was like, they were on fire. He was all in. He was active in Christianity, but here's the problem. He was active in Christianity, but wasn't fighting against his flesh. What what Tony was doing was actually uh, satisfying the same cravings. This is so twisted. The same cravings that led him to act out sexually, where he wanted approval, he wanted acceptance, he wanted to, to conquer, he wanted to win. He acted that out in a church context. So ministry position and, and, and affirmation would all just serve the same fleshly desires. So over time, the longing for sexual conquest still persisted. He pursued women. He risked everything. And I remember him saying, Greg, I know it was wrong. I knew it would destroy my family. I knew it would destroy my children. I knew it would destroy all things most precious to me, and I know it's my fault. I can't blame anything else, but in those moments, I just couldn't help it. And you might think, that's a lie. He's just, he's just saying that. I don't think he's lying. I think he was in bondage. I think he was, I think he was still enslaved. I don't think he was living, I don't think he had been redeemed. I don't think he had been purchased in the sense of there had been not on his part any faith that said, Jesus, you must rescue me. I think what happened for Tony is he went from satisfying his lust here to satisfying his lust here, and over here he dressed it up with a Christian fish. And he never dealt with the indulgence of his flesh. So he was still living in slavery to his old master. Galatians 5.1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. 
right? So, so stand firm. Do not return again to that yoke of slavery. You've been set free, then obligated to return. All right, so that's our three-point identity. The Father has qualified, the Father has delivered, and the Father has redeemed. And the intent of this threefold identity is so that we would be able to live and grow into maturity. And you might say, Greg, it sounds, that sounds great. I mean, I, th- I think that sounds really good. How do I actually live in freedom? Well, the way we do that is that we respond in faith. Is that we, is that we say yes to what God has declared to be true. Here's what I think often happens is we let our feelings shout down the truth that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us. That we let our, our feelings tell us, oh, I, don't, I don't feel redeemed. I, I don't feel free, so I must not be free. I don't, I don't feel qualified, so I must not be qualified. You don't have to feel redeemed in order to be redeemed. You don't have to feel qualified in order to be qualified. You don't. You don't you don't have to feel any truth in order for it to become truth. It simply is. And you can either anchor your life to it or not. But God has done it on your behalf. Notice in all of these we are passive. The Father does it or Jesus does it, not us. We lack the capacity. So we have to make the journey to faith. And what I love is Paul is preaching it, he's writing it, he's teaching it, he's praying it. But notice it's the Father has qualified you. The Father has delivered you. Jesus has redeemed you, right? It's all Paul speaking it to them. What has to happen is it has to go from here to here and where they say, I am qualified, I am delivered, I am redeemed. So what I wanna encourage you to do this morning is as we sing our our closing song, I wanna give you a chance to exercise faith. I wanna give you a chance to, and and faith is demonstrated, faith isn't just up here, faith is something that, that that hits our volition, it hits our will, it hits our chest, right? So what I wanna encourage you to do is activate faith. Have a faith-filled response to the revelation of God. You might say, Greg, well, what is that faith-filled response? I don't know. It could be a prayer. It could be you join in this song. It could be you get on your knees before God. It could be you sit down quietly and you write down a a confession before God. I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. I don't wanna give you a form. I don't want you to respond to me. I want you to respond to revelation. I want you to listen to what is your father saying to you about your threefold identity? Is he telling you that you qualify? to share in his inheritance? Is he letting you know that that you've been delivered? Is he reminding you that you are redeemed, that you're forgiven? So how do you respond? The point is, 
not how, but that you do, that your faith gets put into action. So I'm gonna give you a chance as we close our service to do that. And you, again, you can do it by singing, you can do it by praying. We're gonna have prayer people. Why don't you come on up now? People wanna come up and receive prayer. They can do that even now uh, as we move into our closing song. So would you please stand up? And I wanna encourage you to lock in on what God is revealing to you and respond to the voice of your father. Yeah.
Qualified, delivered, redeemed, forgiven, ransomed, transferred. There's a whole bunch of them. There's probably thousands of adjectives that you could use to describe what Jesus has done for us. So I want to challenge you with something. Claim one personally. Don't just hear that truth, but claim it. This is not name it, claim it stuff. But listen, if he's transferred you, own it. If he's redeemed you, own it. If he's forgiven you, own it. Believe it. Live in that. Yeah. <laughs> so he says, I want them all. Yes. <laughs> Take them all. He's offering all of that to you. So I want to encourage you to continue to pray and continue to pray this prayer from Colossians 1, especially if you go into this week. Live like he's rescued you. Live like you have a different address. It's going to be challenging, sure. We've all got issues, sure. But you don't have to feel free to be free. I hope you caught that line. If he has set you free, you are free indeed. Embrace it, own it, live it. Let me pray for you. God, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You have brought us into the kingdom of the son you love. <laughs> and in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's an incredible story. It's an incredible truth. God, as we journey from this place, we've gathered together as your people, and now we're going to scatter out still as your people into a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different life situations. So may you empower us this week to live like we have been redeemed and forgiven and we've been brought into your kingdom. So we no longer walk about in darkness because of you. Help us this week, we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys as you go. If you still need prayer, stick around. Um, if you need a moment to reflect and sit, we'll take care of your kids as long as we need to. Uh, otherwise, God bless you guys as you go.